the Panhandle News Network. The views and opinions on this station do not necessarily represent the Panhandle News Network, WEPM and WCST, or West Virginia Radio Corporation. Nah, man, you see how good I look? Nothing signifies that more than a pinch hitter winning the game. They shouldn't have played the old Golden Blue. Not this night. Yes, sir. Not this night. We don't pay attention to what happens, what goes on the outside. We just do our job. Welcome to Panhandle Sports Live, the premier home for all things sport in the Eastern Panhandle. He's across midfield. He's into the open field. Touchdown, Martinsburg. Towards the pylon. Touchdown, Washington. Hear from the coaches and players that make the Eastern Panhandle the place for sports in the state of West Virginia. This kid, he's got silver bullets. And it's a two-possession lead for the Appleman. Gets a high snap. Robinson trying to get to the outside. Makes a jerk move. Gets to the inside. Keyshawn Robinson. Touchdown, Cougars. Be a part of the conversation on today's show by texting at 304-263-4321. The throw not in time. Hedgesville's going to Charleston. Gavin Young puts the drive up 9-63-54. The Spring Mills Cardinals, 18-0 to finish the regular season. Now, live from the Hoppy Kerchival Building in historic Martinsburg. Get your popcorn ready. Panhandle Sports Live is on the air. Welcome in to Panhandle Sports Live. It is Tuesday, the third day of October, and you're in the right place for nonstop sports talk coming up until the top of the next hour. We're going to be talking a lot of football today. Get a little weird with it, too. Why not? I'm Luke Wiggs. Parker Stone is back in from his day off. And I have a feeling it was a great day off until about 9 o'clock last night when the G-Men just really weren't able to get it together, Park. But I appreciate that you got the rest in. And how are you doing on this Tuesday? You summed it up right. You summed it up exactly right. Great time off. Spent a good weekend down with the folks down in the southwest Virginia area. And came back up uh, Sunday evening and then was able just to take the day. Got a few chores done around my place. And then... Sadly, got disappointed once again by Giants football. But, you know, I we'll, we'll get into that later. We'll get into that later. I'm I'm very upset with the contingency that's going on online around the Giants right now. There's it's not it's not Daniel Jones' fault solely, but we'll get into that later on in the show. But it's good to be back, excited to get into things, and it's gonna be yet again coming up another exciting week of sports in the panhandle. Absolutely. Uh by the way, great article in this morning's edition of the Martinsburg Journal. Uh, with Washington and Martinsburg both advancing to the state golf tournament. That's coming up here in the next couple of days. We'll keep you updated on that. Uh, Washington has made the state golf tournament every year since the schools opened in 2008. Martinsburg's a little bit of a surprise, but the Bulldogs going to go down there and make some noise and a couple of individual golfers as well that we'll be keeping our eye on. But I appreciate it, Park, that you got the day off. The text line did not. I uh, had a message ready and waiting for you to read here as we sit down in our studios here on this Tuesday. Uh, and I know this is for Parker Stone because the first sentence in this text is, this text is for Parker Stone. <laughs> uh, how about those Hedgesville Eagles is what they say. Got to see them take a beat down from Jefferson from the Jefferson Cougars. So did I. That was our Panhandle High School football game of the week. You can find those highlights on our Twitter page. They held your boy, Gavin Young, to one catch the whole game. That's a bit harsh. He had a really great kick return in that game as well. They are definitely not deserving of a playoff spot. Man, I mean, this is kind of harsh. I'm going to read it, but these are the Texas words, not mine. Quarterback slow. Can't wait to see them take a whipping from Martinsburg. The real deal deserving of more talk than you give them. You have yet to give them a game of the week and not sure why. Incorrect. The most important. You know what? Now I'm ticked off. You know what? You know what? I'm going to say it. 
the most important game of the season for Martinsburg was when they beat a team from Canada, and we were the only people to broadcast that game. So that was the Martinsburg game of the week that we did. Thank you very much. And uh, between you and me, Texter, we are also going to be broadcasting another Martinsburg game this year. I can't tell you which one. Uh, and we have plans on doing their playoff games because we expect them. <laughs> I have shout out to, to Will from EP Weather. So we're, we've got this diatribe. I'm, now I'm all worked up. And oh, then man. we get a text in that says, you know what day it is? Bring the thunder. So, Will, <laughs> I appreciate you bringing some levity to this first segment. I appreciate the text, Texter. Harsh words on Hedgesville. Here's what I'll say. And I'll join Parker in this because it's not just him that had hype on Hedgesville. I did too. You know, this is a team that has a lot of individual talent and still trying to figure out you know how to work it. I, I I don't want to say something really moronic like Lou Holtzian and just say football is a team sport, but it is. You know, Hedgesville struggled with their offensive line this year, and because of that, they've struggled to move the football. You know, Harper is, is people forget because he's been in that program for a while, but this is his first time as a starter, so he's still learning things on offense. And it's not all Hedgesville's fault, and frankly, some of it's our fault because we overhyped them coming into the season. Are they a playoff team? Potentially. They're, they have three wins right now. If they win five, they're probably going to the postseason, and there are at least two more winnable games on their schedule. So, you know, coming to Hedgesville, I think a lot of the hate that is going the direction of Hedgesville this year is partly our fault because we maybe overhyped them coming into the season. But, you know, to go after Gavin Young, he had a great reception. You're and he's struggling to get separation without DeMonte on the field. He had a great kick return. And then to say that we're not talking about Martinsburg enough, we talk about him every week, every or basically every show. We've said they're the best team in the state. I've said repeatedly that they haven't lost an EPAC game since 2007, and they're probably not going to lose one this year. They're probably the best team in the state by a wide margin, and they've got as many as five Division One athletes on their team. I apologize, Parker. I've taken up the majority of the comments for a text that was directed at you, but the floor is yours now to respond to everything that the texter said. All right, let's break this down into pieces. <laughs> First of all, this texter said that Gavin Young is my boy. I've mentioned this on the show before. I will always support Gavin Young because that that connection from covering his time at Berkeley Springs that was a uh, that was a very big spotlight for a team that had a very down season. And I I always am very excited to see him play. He's a dynamic athlete, and I will always root for Gavin Young, and I root for all the athletes in the Panhandle. Don't get me wrong. I want to see everybody go big time college offers, play big, and get into the NFL if we had it our way. I that's what I want to see. Hedgesville's case. Now, I get it. They were probably projected to do a little bit better than what they were right now. And maybe that could be attributed to some big tests that they've had. You look at their losses. Okay, this team has three losses. Wheeling Park, who just beat the number one team in the state last yep. week. Herbert Hoover, who was the defending class AA runner-up last year. Yep. And is looking like they're going to make another strong case to go back to the island. And Jefferson, who has a really good chance to host a home playoff game this year. How has this team underperformed? I that's that's the question I have. Do you want them to beat Wheeling Park on the island? Mossman was number one in the state last year and went to the island and got their teeth kicked in. What what do you want? What do you what do you want them to do? They're they're a five hundred team right now without their best offensive player. And whenever he comes back, they're gonna be better. Now for the Martinsburg case, I again, we've we've said time and time again. This team's full steam ahead to Wheeling Island, and I don't 100%. think anybody's going to stop them. Thousand percent. They're n no one's going to stop them getting to Wheeling Island at this point. They're by far and away the best team in the entire state, and it's not even close in my opinion. The only teams that have a puncher's chance that can maybe give them a game is Huntington and Capital Midland, and that's it. It's it's a humongous drop off, I think, at that point. But again, it's it's a team that 
maybe high expectations were put on for Hedgesville, but maybe they were a little lofty. I think we could say that. Maybe people thought this team could go eight and two or seven and three. Maybe they're a six and four, five and five. And there's a lot of questions that need to be asked. A lot of the Panhandle teams have a lot of questions going on right now. Musselman's at a crossroads. They got to figure something out because they got to play maybe the team that could maybe meet Martinsburg in the Super Six come December in Cabell Midland this week. Washington, they got to probably went out to have any sort of shot of sniffing the playoff at this point. Hedgesville's got to play some important football. There's a lot of important games coming up later on this week. Really, the only few teams that maybe don't have a few questions to maybe answer are Martinsburg or Spring Mills. They're clicking right now. And then Jefferson's coming off a big win against Hedgesville. But again, there's been the issues of this team maybe can run the ball better. They played better for the run last week, but there's been that issue of if Jefferson can't get the ball rolling in the run game, are they going to be stifled? But with that being said, yes, we will acknowledge Martinsburg is on a full (laughs) steam ahead trip to Wheeling Island at this point. Maybe expectations were a little much coming in for Hedgesville into this season with a couple big-name transfers they got coming in. But again, you look at their losses on paper. Those are high-quality losses. And it's a team that I think is still rallying together. They have a great coach in Matt Faircloth. I'll say that. He gets gets the best out of every player on that team. So I'm excited to see the tail end of the season for all the teams, for Hedgesville, for Martinsburg. For all, for all the teams in the panhandle because now really the question is, and I heard you mention this, Luke, now is it whether five get in, is it four, is it three? We, we don't know. We don't know at this point. There's a lot of weird stuff going around the state. Certain things have to happen for the five. Certain things need to happen for even four at this point. So it all depends on the next couple of weeks in conference play, who beats who and who moves up rankings and such. But it's it's going to be an exciting ride in the next few weeks. I think it's the best way to sum that up. Well, you can text us 304-263-4321, and we appreciate the text. Always love a little constructive criticism. I, I will say one more addendum uh, to the texter, and again, we appreciate your text this morning, or I think you sent it yesterday. Um, you know, another thing that, and I, I believe this is a Martinsburg fan because he's texted in from a Martinsburg angle before that we try to do here is, is elevate the stock of everybody that's not Martinsburg and try to make sure that everybody gets as much coverage as possible. So, you know, Martinsburg dominates the headlines because of what they do, and we appreciate that. They, they've put this this state, uh, this part of the state in high esteem, and this state in general. They just beat a team from Canada. Uh, but there's a lot of great stories in the panhandle that are worth talking about this year that aren't just the Bulldogs. And despite the fact that they are going to have an undefeated season, and that's awesome, and they should compete and win another state championship, and they have, like I mentioned, I think between um, – they have five different players in Reed, Hancock, potentially Fagan, uh, Gideon, maybe Yancey, Clement. That, that's six that could play Division One football, and that's special. But we also want to take an opportunity to cover the remaining five teams because you've got some really cool stories. Craig Hunter has turned Jefferson from a perennial underachiever into a perennial playoff powerhouse in 10 seasons. Brian Thomas has built one of the best, the green mean machine down there in Inwood, and people need to be talking about that more. What Spring Mills has done this season is is remarkable. You know, the work started by Coach Sims that's been carried on by Coach Hessen and Coach Law, and they are one or two wins away from solidifying not just the postseason but a home playoff game. You know, Hedgesville has gone from less than 30 kids coming up for the first football practice with Coach Faircloth to making the playoffs last year and being two wins away. And then Washington got off to a fantastic start. And while they may be petering off, they're still a young team that's going to get better every single season under Coach Ray. So there's just a lot of stories out there certainly uh, worth talking about. Another texter says, 
Martinsburg versus Spring Mills will be worthy for game of the week on 1020. There's a chance we might do that game. With all due respect, he says, I'm afraid Hedgesville and Musselman are done. I understand that sentiment, but when you look at their schedules, you know, Hedgesville again, those teams play each other. You know, so one of those teams is going to pick up for Hedgesville will be their fourth win at potentially Musselman, maybe their third, you know, a, an opportunity to still get into the playoffs despite getting off to a bad start to the season. Uh, and then Will, a friend of the program from WVEP Weather, which you can check them out on Facebook. They do great work. Says, you know what day it is, bring the thunder. Uh, with that said, derailing the first segment. And again, hey, a texture, I appreciate it. You gave us a, a first segment's worth of content there. Uh, we do want to talk about our Panhandle High School football game of the week very briefly, and you heard some of the commercials this morning. You'll hear the promos throughout the rest of the day. Getting a little bit weird with it and doing a triple-A-double-A matchup for the second time this year. Spring Mills, 5-1, and one, taking on double-A, 4-2 and two Frankfurt. This is a really important game for the Cardinals to kind of stake their claim of, of area dominance. You know, they lost to Jefferson, but if they beat Spring or Frankfurt, I mean, that's a team that, despite being in double-A, has won a lot of football games over the last couple of years. I'm excited to do our first game from the Cardinal Stadium this year because it's a cool place to call a football game from. Excited to see what that offense and defense has turned into. So, you know, I think it's one of the most competitive games in the state this week, despite the division in class, Parker. I'm excited to do this one uh, because I think Spring Mills can further their statement by winning this game. Yeah, absolutely. That's the case. And Frankfurt last year was a team who was a game out of getting to the Super Six. So this is an opportunity for Spring Mills, who barely beat or rather they lost to Frankfurt last year. They lost by a touchdown to the Falcons last year. So this is an opportunity to right some wrongs against a good Frankfurt team. They beat Washington earlier this year, 43-13. to They're coming off a 10-point loss to Mountain Ridge over in Maryland. So Frankfurt's got to kind of rally things together before – they cake on Spring Mills because they're sitting at four and two. They jumped to four and three. Now it becomes time for you to win some games with granted kind of a kind of a lackadaisical schedule towards the stretch. Berkeley Springs has struggled towards the tail end of this year. Grafton, I know, has been a struggling team. And then you got Kaiser to finish out the year. For Frankfurt's case, if you win this game, you get closer to a playoff spot and hosting in the playoffs in class double A. For Spring Mills, if you win and you win in comfortable fashion in this game, it's I think that you've almost locked up a full a full home playoff game for Sprig Mills this case if you're able to win that contest. And it's good momentum going in to again, we mentioned they play Martinsburg next week. Good momentum building into that. But it's a fun matchup. A lot of fun players between both Spring Mills and Frankfurt, and it's a chance again for the Cardinals to right some wrongs from last year and show how much they have grown as a program with the core that they have. Absolutely. So we'll step aside for just a moment. And again, our Panhandle High School football game of the week coming up this Friday night. Pre-game coverage beginning at 645, Spring Mills and Frankfurt. And we'll get into the rest of the high school football that we have coming up this week and in the remainder of the season because we're starting to get to crunch time. And we'll start breaking out the prognosticators and seeing exactly where Panhandle teams can finish. And potentially, if we could have five or as few as three teams make the postseason. When we come back, I'm going to pose an interesting question to Parker Stone, and we'll also hear from Mountaineer head football coach Neil Brown. It comes your way on Panhandle Sports Live. You're listening to Panhandle Sports Live. Can't get enough of Panhandle Sports? Head to PanhandleNewsNetwork.com for articles on your favorite teams. Welcome back in Panhandle Sports Live here on this Tuesday morning. You can text us 304-263-4321. Appreciate the text that we've got this morning. Don't forget, coming up towards the end of the show, we've got Dinger Tuesday on the way. But I want to talk a little college football. Shepard still ranked at the top 25, coming in at number 22 in the nation. We'll talk about them and how their season might be a little intertwined with WVU. And speaking of those Mountaineers, Mountaineer head football coach Neil Brown met with the media yesterday, and he began his comments by giving, or giving some updates 
Uh, now, one he did not include was starting left tackle Wyatt Milam, who missed the entire second half of the TCU game. Uh, and you got to see a lot of uh, Nick Malone from Morgantown High. He started as a walk-on. Uh, which, by the way, as we talk about this Houston game coming up this week, remember Dana Holgerson said you can't win football games with West Virginia high school football players, but that's neither here nor there. Wyatt Milam got poked in the eye, so he's going to be back this week. Thomas Remax should be back as well, but Mountaineer head football coach Neil Brown began with a little bit of an injury update. Aubrey um, is all tests were, were negative, and he is, uh, for for what that was, he is – uh, he's in good spirits and and he's gonna he's gonna be okay and uh, that was scary, um, but uh, best possible results uh, have all his tests were negative and so we uh, we expect him um, he'll go through protocol and then uh, then then be on his way. Uh, Trey had successful surgery yesterday. Um, he he he's gonna miss the year obviously, but he's expected to make a full recovery. And I want to praise our medical team, our trainers, our our our, our docs. Thought they did a tremendous job. And then I, I want a uh, huge um, thank you to TCU, um, their medical staff, their training staff. They're extremely helpful. Um, their their trauma team and their docs. Um, they they handled the surgery yesterday, and and uh, and so Aubrey and Trey, we're gonna fly them back tomorrow. And so looking forward to getting them back. And uh, but I wanted to hit that at the front. Uh, I'll be honest, I'm here against my will today. I was planning on having a day off, so Monty got me today. Um, uh, I won't hold y'all responsible for that. So um, a really good road win for us versus a quality TCU team, and I think that'll show as they progress through the year. Um, you know, really proud of our staff and players. Um, we were able to win despite not playing really well. Uh, we did. We didn't play. Um, played at a high level on special teams, which I'll talk about here in a second. Uh, defensively, did some good things in the second half. Offensively, played better in the second half. But overall, we're capable of playing much, much better than what we played on Saturday. Um, we have four objectives, and I think you'll have heard me talk about it. Discipline, strain, tough, and smart. That's how we want to be described. And I think two of them, we're, we're setting a really high standard, and we strain play extremely hard and we're a tough team you know mentally and physically we're able to overcome adversity we've proven that in multiple games uh we started slow and we've been able to overcome that and and kind of during this winning streak and and also you know that was that was really tough on Saturday night you know from a mental standpoint of of seeing not one but two of your teammates go down and it doesn't look good and so um you know we're we're, we're doing those two things we're straining and we're a, a really tough team um, but on the other two, we just didn't we didn't hold our standards. Our discipline was not very good on on Saturday, and then we just we played we we did we did some things that just were not very smart. And so felt like that we won the game because we strained and, and we were tough, and, and our competitive spirit was really really high. But we've got to make huge strides in being more disciplined, and then just being a smarter team. Uh, game recap. Start with special teams. I really feel like we won the game because of special teams. Um, I think the positives, obviously, we had two block field goals. And, and that's a unit. Our field goal block unit has, has really done well all year. And y'all have heard me say this a couple weeks in a row is, man, we're really close to blocking one. Well, we went and got two, um, which, was, which was huge. I thought our field goal, you know, uh, Michael Hayes, 
You know, he first of all, the one before half, he drilled. That was a big kick. And then the one in the fourth quarter. And part of the reason, I don't know if you could tell this on TV, the wind was kind of swirling in there. And it was uh, – he had the wind with both those kicks that he made. And their kicker was against the wind both times. And that was some of the thought process of taking the ball because we, we knew we'd be able to pick the wind direction in the fourth quarter. Um, defensively, much improved in the second half. I think we, they averaged 3.6 yards per rush, uh, which, was, which was vital. Um, our red zone defense continues to be really good. Um, I think that's the key, one of the keys to success in this league is being efficient in the red zone. And then our third and fourth down in the second half. We, um, we didn't play third down very well in the first half, but in the second half really bowed up and, and played quality defense on, on those end-of-possession downs. Um, things we got to improve. We got off to a slow start. Uh, we had six missed opportunities. Uh, uh, one ball on the ground that we didn't recover, and then we dropped five interceptions. You know, like two of them would have been good plays. Three of them hit us right in the chest. Um, and it's not very often in games where you can get away with those. And we didn't get away with them against Penn State. You know, that game's a totally different at Penn State if we catch the two interceptions they throw us. If, if we just catch the two they throw us, the game's different. And we were really fortunate to come out of that game with us dropping some interceptions that we had. And that was Mountaineer head football coach Neil Brown meeting with the media uh, yesterday, giving an update on some of those injuries. Um, and it seems as though, with the exception of Latham, we might see Burks miss the Houston game. But uh, like he said, Milan should be back. Raymack should be back. Aubrey Burke should be back soon. It, it helps that this week's their bye week. Uh, but you look at WVU now, and obviously the the surprise start to the season for a team now four and one, and uh, a very similar record to the Shepherd Rams. By the way, uh, Shepherd, like we mentioned, ranked number twenty two in the top twenty five, and WVU receiving votes in the AP poll, but not ranked just yet. So I want to ask you this simple question, Parker Stone. Obviously, WVU has a little bit of an advantage because they've got twelve games on their regular season schedule, as opposed to Shepherd's got one fewer. But as we sit today. Who wins more games this season, the Shepherd Rams or the West Virginia University Mountaineers? Ooh, that's that's a tough question. That's really tough. But uh, I think for Shepherd's case, I think they're winning. Well, they're sitting four to one right now. I think every chance that this team, I think the floor is probably eight and three for Shepherd. I think that's the absolute floor right now because on paper, I think they're better than Lockhaven. I think they're better than Millersville. I think they're better than Westchester. I think they're better than Bloomsburg. East Stroudsburg's the only game where I really question, can this team win this game? And East Stroudsburg just lost to Kutztown by seven last week. And then Mercyhurst, I think they're better than. So I, I would say right now, Shepard wins nine games. They finished nine and two is probably where I'm going to put it at. To be safe, 10 and one is very realistic as well. So either nine or 10. For West Virginia's case, they're four and one right now. They beat Houston. They beat Oklahoma State. That takes you to six. They lose against Oklahoma. Cincinnati and BYU are the two toss-ups, I think. It depends on what team you get. I, th I think they can beat Cincinnati. BYU, I think, is a coin flip. UCF is kind of a coin flip. I think they beat Baylor. That takes them to eight with a win against Baylor. I, I, I'd i say, I don't know. I, I think as of today, I'd say Shepard. As of today, I would say Shepard just because... I can almost lock in them winning nine games right now just because I think the PSAC East is top-heavy with the, with the Rams, Kutztown, and East Stroudsburg right now. I think those three are by far and away the best cut of the three teams in the Eastern Division. With the Big 12, it's, I think, more open. You don't know what you're going to get every single week outside of Texas and Oklahoma. Thankfully, the 
thankfully West Virginia does have to play the Longhorns at some point this season, but they don't have to play Texas or Kansas State. Yeah, or Kansas, which is yeah. which is great. That's and the great. only team, I mean, the only team at the top of the Big Twelve that they have to play the rest of the season is Oklahoma. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. And it, it it goes back to a point that I made at the beginning of the season, and hopefully it's true with this current cast of characters. But you know, compared to WVU rosters of the 21st century, this team is probably in the bottom fourth in terms of talent, in my opinion. And it makes you wish that you had a Skylar Howard. I, even Clint Trickett, you know, we can have that discussion. Who's a better quarterback for WVU, Garrett Green or Clint Trickett? Or obviously Will Greer, because you'd be competing for a conference title. Now, oh, you could still compete for a conference title right now, but you play three, oh, I'm sorry, all four newcoming Big 12 teams. And what's key about it is you're getting Houston early because they're probably going to fire Dana if you beat them. But then Cincinnati, BYU, UCF all come in the back half of the season. And what I love about that is – these are teams that have not played Power 5 schedules. These are teams that BYU is an independent, so they play. They can play five or six Power 5 teams in a season, but there's some cupcake games in the middle of there. You know, you're getting into Week 8, Week 9, Week 10, having to go up against the best of the best of the best in college football every week, and you're more banged up than you've ever been. So it becomes a war of attrition. So that's why I love the way the WVU schedule's fallen for them this year. It's just a shame that if this team comes up short because – Garrett Green struggles to evolve as a passer, or this defense is missing a little bit of bite in their pass rush, although they've looked good the last couple of weeks. With a better cast of characters, you're looking at at least a 10-win team and a team playing for a conference championship. My worry is the injuries on this team. Losing Trey Lathan's a humongous blow. He's played absolutely fantastic for him. It's, it's encouraging to see the likes of Aubrey Burks and Wyatt Milam going to be getting back on the field sooner rather than later, but... It's the only games that I circle that are question marks for WVU is at UCF because we, you don't know which UCF team you're going to be getting in that game. Are you going to get the team that lost to a point against Baylor or are you going to get a team that's going to bring bring all their best at the bounce house and it's going to be a tough game for West Virginia? That's a tough game to pick. BYU, I think, is also tough as well. It depends on which BYU team you get because BYU could be a really tough out as well. Oklahoma, I'm chalking that one up as a loss. If you're playing in Norman, they've really taken a step up in year two under Brenton Venables. And then I'd say Cincinnati, I would favor West Virginia just because it's at home. And I know the Bearcats will give them a tough game. But again, it's a that'll be a probably a 10 to 3 game against Cincinnati. Both those teams will <laughs> love to run the ball. And then Baylor on the 25th, it's it's at Baylor, which makes me kind of maybe question it a little bit, but I don't think Baylor's that great. It, it's a game that if Neil Brown can win that one towards the end of the season at Baylor to potentially get eight, maybe even nine wins, that's that's a huge game for this team. So I'd say final verdict, I would say today I would favor Shepard getting 10 wins or nine wins. I'd say the floor, the absolute floor, if they lay an egg on the road, is eight and three for Shepard. I'd say the floor for WVU is six or seven. So I'd say today, if you ask me who would win more games this year, I would say Shepard. But WVU, every single chance they go nine and three right now, I think. Well, WVU off this week. They take on uh, Houston a week from Thursday. We'll have nine hours of WVU game day coverage here on WVPM and WCST. Shepard in action this Saturday against Lock Haven, and we'll have that call over on 95.9 The Big Dog, and we'll be joined by the voice of Lock Haven coming up a little bit later on this week in Nicholas Severini. But a break to take. we got to get into the heavy stuff now because the Seahawks dominated the G-Men yesterday. We'll talk about that next on Panhandle Sports Live. You're listening to Panhandle Sports Live. Want to join the conversation? Text in at 304-263-4321. 
Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live. This Tuesday edition, if you missed it early on in the show, we unveiled our Panhandle High School football game of the week coming up this Friday night. It'll be Spring Mills against Frankfurt. And uh, another response to the uh, the texter that we had at the beginning of the show, uh, Martinsburg will be featured in a Panhandle High School football game of the week before the regular season is over. We want to make sure we get every team on twice. Uh, and Martinsburg's been on once already with their defeat of Clarkson North of Canada. You can find those uh, highlights, by the way, on our Twitter uh, with the legendary Chris Lawrence on the call. But with that said, there was some football played in the NFL last night, uh, and it involved West Virginia University's own Geno Smith, who started the game uh, with this touchdown pass to DK Metcalf, and this is how it sounded on Seattle Sports Radio, 710 AM. Awaiting the snap. Gino takes it, steps up in the pocket, scrambles away to his right side, looking to the end zone, fires a dart. In the back of the end zone, DK, does he have his feet? And he does! Touchdown, Seahawks! DK Metcalf with the rope-a-dope in the back of the end zone. You also had a touchdown run by Kenneth Walker, but then a 97-yard Von Witherspoon touchdown return off an interception uh, that made it 21-3 at the time and pretty much put this game to bed. Seattle looks like they want to rush four, and they do. Jones is going to throw, throws near side. Ball picked up. Witherspoon comes near side, down the sidelines. Jones chasing him. He cuts back inside, picks up blockers, still being chased. Witherspoon far side, 20, 15, 10, 5. He is in. Holy catfish. Witherspoon went a mile and a half with the interception for a touchdown. All right. <laughs> well, Geno Smith obviously was a one-year member of the Giants organization, spent a long time with the Jets as well, uh, and people were trying to get him on an angle and say, hey, you played in this stadium a lot. How does it feel to come back and win? And he said, you know, it, it, it was cool, but maybe it didn't matter that much. Honestly, I don't. You know, I was only here for one year with the, with the Giants, and, uh, you know, my stretch with the Jets, kind of up and down, good and bad. And so I was always thankful for my opportunities here. You know, I have a lot of, you know, great friends who are from New York and still live in New York, and a lot of fans still here. So it's a lot of love. I have a lot of love for New York and vice versa. Well, in terms of the, the takeaways of this game from the Giants, let's hear from Brian Dable, who just kind of gave some of his general thoughts about the loss. We, we didn't play a complimentary football game, so turned the football over. Uh, had some opportunities, but uh, didn't score any points. Um, didn't, didn't get the job done. How hamstrung do you feel with the way the offensive line is playing? I mean, it seems like Daniel... Yeah, no excuses. We got, I got to do a better job. Do you feel like if you let Daniel down with how you didn't protect him tonight? Yeah, I'd just say overall, Pat, uh, offensively wasn't good enough uh, from any standpoint. A little bit of optimism. Lastly, we'll hear from Daniel Jones and says he has confidence uh, his team can turn this season around. We got the right kind of guys. Um, we got the right kind of guys. We got all the talent we need, and um, we just have to, have to put it together and, and have to be consistent with it. Well, a resident Giants fan in the room is Parker Stone. Parker, your takeaways from last night's loss. Oh, man, where do you start? It's uh, the offensive line's in shambles. The offensive line's really bad, and they got to get it together. Or it's just going to continue to spiral. And I've seen so many people online say, it's Daniel Jones' fault. The Giants were stupid for giving Daniel Jones a big contract. The viral clip of Brian Dayball throwing the uh, tablet is going all over the place. But... The silver lining is this. You could have put Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, you name your favorite best quarterback in the league behind that offensive line last night, and they would have struggled insanely bad. 
Now I get it. He threw two picks and he th- and he had a fumble. That the last. I mean, when you have two seconds to throw, what can you do? I mean, it's it's rough to really get something like that going. We've been covering Berkeley Springs football here within our family of stations, and I've been saying this about Aiden Kane, and he has no time to throw. It's it's the same type of thing. You can't have an offense be successful if your offensive line play is that poor. Evan Neal, I'm starting to really worry about. He was a top eight pick in the draft last year, and he looks like he's awful. I don't know how to explain it. I understand Andrew Thomas took a little bit of time, and he turned into one of the best tackles in the NFL. But I'm starting to get very worried about Evan Neal and his long-term development. If he's still lacking this much, he can't step up and be a leader on that offensive line. Of course, John Michael Schmitz, the starting center, got knocked out of that game early, and they had to play backup guys. And the Giants' backups aren't very good. I'll put it lightly at that. And just to allow 11 sacks, 11 sacks down the line. Bobby Wagner, two sacks. Jordan Brooks, two sacks. Uh, De- Devin Witherspoon, two sacks. Heck of a game from him, too, by the way. Fantastic player. Yuchenna uh, Nwosu, two sacks. Uh, Miles Adams gets a sack and Mario Edwards, who I didn't even know was still in the league gets a sack and boy, Mafe, the second year guy from Minnesota. It's ridiculous that you allow 11 sacks in a game and the special teams awful as well. Penalties left and right and just stupid, stupid stuff. It, and just, I, I tweeted this last night, the special teams coordinator for the giants, Thomas McGay, he should get his walking papers. Cause that special teams has been awful in the first four weeks. It has been just bad. And it's a Giants team. It doesn't get any easier. You're on the road against Miami and you're on the road against Buffalo the next two weeks. So real real chance this team starts one and five. And at that point, it's just going to start crumbling apart, I feel like. It, they got to figure it out. Offensive line is awful. Special teams is awful. Tackling on defense has been an issue all season long. That has to get fixed as well. There, there are a lot of issues with the New York football giants, and it's not solely on Daniel Jones is the biggest takeaway of everything. And also, Darren Waller gets targeted three times. You trade for this guy in the offseason to be a security blanket for your quarterback, and you only go to him three times. I mean, the most targeted player was Wondell Robinson, which I was happy to see. I love Wondell Robinson in his game. Why don't we get Jalen Hyatt more involved? Paris Campbell, I don't think, is any good. I, I'm not a Paris Campbell fan at all. Darius Slayton doesn't do anything in this game. Isaiah Hodgins does nothing in this game. Darren Waller needs to get more involved. More Wondell Robinson. More Jalen Hyatt. Offensive line has to get better. Special teams is awful. Fire Thomas McGahee today. It, I, 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 that, that's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say. It's just awful performance. Well, I do want to ask this, not to twist the knife, but do you get the sense that, you know, because obviously we, we're cognizant of what the commanders are doing because they're just down the road. And to me, I get the sense that the Giants started their rebuild first, but they're being lapped by the commanders right now, in my opinion. And it's not because of the quarterback position, because Daniel Jones to Sam Howell, in my opinion, Daniel Jones is a significantly better player. But it just it seems as though that the inept and not, listen, I'm not one to throw stones. I'm a Raider fan. Um, we've been rebuilding since 2000. Uh, it, it just seems as though. It's an organization that takes one step forward and two steps back. It seems as though that this is an organization that is prioritized, as you said, building up this offensive line by taking so many within with single-digit picks in the first round and really don't seem to have much to show for it. They've kept a talent like Saquon Barkley from really 
elevating to a team that could, or a player that can help you win playoff games because they're not making the playoffs. And people wonder why Saquon Barkley is beat up all the time. Absolutely. This, this is the He's reason faced why. more seven or eight defenders in the box runs than any other running back in football has since he's come in. It's not particularly close. It's him and Derrick Henry. It, and he's still producing high quality level games, even with teams fully focusing on him in the box. It's it's just tough when you have invested that much into the offensive line. Andrew Thomas has worked out tremendously. Like I mentioned, I'm worried about Evan Neal. I don't know if you want to kick him into guard long term or if you want to do something of that nature with Evan Neal. But I, I'm starting to get a little concerned with his play. John Michael Schmitz, I mean, I know he's only a rookie. He's a rookie center, but he was supposed to be a safe pick in the draft, and he struggled at times this season. There's got, there's got to be some fixes on the offensive line if the Giants want to do anything in nature to compete again. And it may be more of a tape. I saw somebody tweet this last night. It's maybe it's the tape is out more on the Giants this year than what it was last year because, again, Brian Dayball's first year. My, I believe Mike Kafka's first year as offensive coordinator. So people really didn't know what to expect out of the Giants' offense. Now with tape out there near two, is it maybe a regression? You think teams are maybe game planning better for the Giants? New uh, the the new things that were brought last year are they being figured out more? And that's that's the worry because there was the big conversation about that back about a decade ago. Guys like RG three, guys like Colin Kaepernick who were rushing quarterbacks. All right, we saw them year one. Now teams got film on them. Let's see how they do in year two. Is is this the Giants' offense that we're seeing this same type of thing? Year two, it takes a regression because the tape is out there, the scheme is out there, and where do they go from here? Uh, there's got there's got to be some improvement in the trenches. I think it's the biggest takeaway, and then just special teams plays awful. Well, to put a bow on our NFL conversation, I want to ask you this question, and and don't worry, folks, a little dreary now, but Dinger Tuesday is on the way. Um, we've played four games so far through the NFL season. Your divisional leaders right now are the Bills in the AFC East, the Chiefs in the West, the Ravens in the North, the Colts currently in the South, but all of those teams are 2-2. Two and two. Uh, In the NFC East, it's the Eagles. In the NFC West, it's the 49ers. In the North, it's the Lions in the South. It is a bit of a surprise in the Buccaneers at 3-1. and one. Then That kind of defeats the purpose of this question, maybe with the exception of um, Tampa Bay. Which of those teams that is currently leading a division right now, Parker Stone, do you not expect to be a divisional leader when playoff time comes around? Who's the biggest fraud? And you could say Tampa isn't a fraud because, to be fair, Baker Mayfield just had a really good game. So who is it? I'd say Indianapolis out of all those would probably be my pick to go for someone and say, okay, this team isn't going to be making the playoffs. Credit to them, they're playing competitive football. And I think that's some things that a lot of people thought the Colts maybe be picking top eight in the draft again this year. They might be picking more in the low low teens or in like 10 to 11 range, but they got pieces. They have a lot of potential, and the entire AFC South is right now competitive at two and two. Jags got to pick it up because, I mean, people were putting Jacksonville in a position to be maybe a top two or three seed come playoff time this time lat, or kind of early in the summer last year. Jacksonville has to show something here and kind of take the ball and run with it in the AFC South. They've won two straight. They got to take. They got to really plant their flag in the ground and say this is their division. But if Houston gets healthy on the offensive line and they get a little bit better, watch out for the Texans. I mean, I, I'm loving C.J. Stroud right now. He's making fantastic throws. He's putting up in his first four games. I understand it's his first four games, but he's putting up numbers that are similar to Hall of Fame level players in the first four games of his career. If the Texans get rolling and the offensive line gets healthy, 
they could maybe challenge, I think, maybe the Jaguars for that division. But right now, I think it's Jacksonville's division. So I'd say the Colts right now or that team would I'd say probably won't be in that position come that time. Another break to take. When we return, we'll get Parker's picks and Dinger Tuesdays. You're still listening to a Tuesday edition of Panhandle Sports Live. Welcome back to Panhandle Sports Live, part of the Panhandle News Network. Welcome back into Panhandle Sports Live. You can text the show 304-263-4321. Spirited discussions today on the Giants and Martinsburg football. Only show in the country where you're going to get diatribes by Parker Stone on both the G-Men and the Bulldogs. But hey, that's what we do. And speaking of Parker Stone, it's time for another edition of Parker's Pick. Yeah, well, that's called beginner's luck. Luck, 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 luck. Yeah, I like to call this my lock of the day. Prove it, it's never fails. Never failed once. All right, so Monday Night Football slate yesterday. We ended up going two for three. Kenneth Walker got the anytime touchdown, which was our lock of the day for yesterday. And we also were able to get Daniel Jones' over on rushing yards. The prop was set at 35 and a half. He went 66, I believe, was the rushing yards Mark Jones finished with. But Darren Waller... As I mentioned before, they need to get him more involved in the offense. He only had three catches for 25 yards, so we miss on that prop. So you've been hearing it before in the show. It is the start of the MLB playoffs today, which means another chance to be great. Dinger Tuesday is back. Playoff edition of Dinger Tuesday. So you know what we're going to do? We're going to do something unprecedented for Parker's Picks and Dinger Tuesday just to celebrate the playoffs. Opening day. We're going two home run picks today. Woo! We're going two. So my first home run pick for you is a guy who's known to do great things in the playoffs, and he's going to do something to help his team win today. And maybe what some people may be calling upset here, Randy Arozarena hits a home run for the Rays. That's my first of two playoff Dinger Tuesday picks for you. So the second one, we're going to be turning two the next game up on the slate right after the Rangers and the Rays, we're going to go to Toronto and Minnesota. Ooh. And I'm going to go with Mr. Home Run King himself. Vladdy Jr. is going to be hitting a home run as well for Dinger Tuesday. So again, the first ever double Dinger Tuesday for playoffs here on Parker's Picks. We're going Randy Rosarena, Vladdy Jr., double AL East guys, Two guys who were the finalists in this year's home run derby both hit one for their respective teams in wins for their respective teams going on on Dinger Tuesday. Woo. And then a couple for your bonus picks. I had the uh, Blue Jays with the win over the Twins today, and I also have the Phillies getting the win over the Marlins is what we're rolling with. So there you go. That's your Dinger Tuesday. If you got a different pick today or someone I should have picked to go hit a home run today, you can always tweet us at EP Sports Network. If you get a win on your slates, tweet us at EP Sports Network. Let me know, and we'll celebrate together. That's what it's all about. Let's make some money. Let's enjoy the playoffs today. It's going to be a good time. Running out of time on today's show, but we do need to talk about just a little bit. And I, I, we'll see if we can get some clips in here if we're able to. Uh, NBA Media Day, we were talking about that during the break. And, you know, it's really not that interesting, you know, to turn the attention this early to the season. Saw some stuff I liked out of Wizards Cam. Jordan Poole and uh, Kyle Kuzma are getting along very well. Uh, Bilal Koulibaly and Jordan Poole are going, getting along very well. Giannis reacting to Damian Lillard. But the headlines were stolen uh, by what was on Jimmy Butler's head. I mean, quite possibly the most bizarre haircut I have ever seen from an NBA basketball player. And there have been many throughout the years. 
Um, I don't really know how to see. I, I I would say it's more middle-aged white woman, but people are also going in like the the emo route. Someone, yeah. uh, so your thoughts on on the, the the hairstyle of Jimmy Butler yesterday? It's I think unique is the best word to describe <laughs> it. It's of course last year, if you remember, Jimmy Butler had like the long hair for last year's media days. That was a sight for last year. But he also <laughs> shaved his uh he shaved his goatee and mustache and all that. So it was just a plain baby face Jimmy Butler with like long locks, which that was that was something last year. Tops it this year somehow with this look, but it, maybe he's a little sad that the Heat didn't get Damian Lillard. Maybe that's why he rocked the uh, the emo look, as he liked to call it, this time for media day. But he's a character. He's a fun character, and it's one of the guys Jimmy Butler is that makes the NBA fun. And I, I'm excited to see what he does this year for Miami, if they're able to really capitalize on what was a miracle run for him last year or have the pieces acquired for Milwaukee and Boston kind of box them out of play. And even the Knicks, too. The Knicks are coming back with a really strong roster. How those teams are going to respond coming in to what's going to be a fun run in the East. I think also, too, just to quickly mention this, the James Harden situation seems to be just be ramping up even more. It sounds like he is just refusing to play for Philadelphia until he gets a trade. Yeah, well, let's hear from Nick Nurse. He talked about plans on playing with or without Harden this season. For me, it's it's obviously we've kind of got plan A, plan B, right? We've got to we've got to get the team ready regardless. Um, you know, we're we're expecting him to to show up. He shows up, we go. If he doesn't, we go. Right. That, there's 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 two ways to look at it. And we proceed and and we really get to work and building our our foundation of what we want to do, getting all our principles in all the things that we want to do and, and play the style of play we want to play regardless. Over under point five games. James Harden plays for the Sixers this year. I'm going to go over, but we could see fat James Harden come back. <laughs> I'm going to go over, but I think fat James Harden comes back and he gets dealt to the Clippers. All right. Well, that's going to do it for today's show. Uh, awesome to have Parker Stone back. Um, if you missed any or part of today's show, you can find it coming up a little bit later on on our Panhandle Sports Live Spotify pages. We've got more guests coming up throughout the week. And again, our Panhandle High School Football Game of the Week will be Spring Mills and Frankfurt coming up this Friday. Um, but that's it. Panhandle Live is coming up next. We'll talk to you tomorrow.